you know, we kind of get burned on a call in the playoffs over a similar type of situation. You know, you don't know if it's offside or onside, but, you know, the league's got to clarify some of these rules. Um, you know, what's a kick, what's offside, what's goalie interference. Um, kind of depends on the night, I guess. So, uh, disappointing, obviously. Obviously, we should never have even let it get to that point. So, um, disappointing. Disappointing is probably the result of all of that, all-encompassing of that Oilers loss last night. And while I do agree with Connor McDavid on one point, that that some of the rules may look a little bit murkier than others, that was offside. That was offside by every metric. He didn't have control of the puck. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly did a great job of keeping him away from the puck to ensure that that happened. But it was offside. And Connor McDavid put it, maybe not so eloquently, but they never should have been in that position anyway. The Edmonton Oilers, frankly, pissed away two points last night. When you're when your $9.25 million making defenseman has two giveaways that result directly in goals, especially the one with 20 seconds left, Vladimir Tarasenko ties it up. Probably don't deserve to win that game. You shouldn't even be in that position. And again, when we talk about the offside and, and the reviews, as Jeff has put it so many times on this show, This is the law of unintended consequences. When we want to review everything in the game, we go, it's it's about the minutia of each individual play. It's about, you know, being able to break it down in slow-mo. If we're watching reviews in real time, which was brought up on the show yesterday, then we're having a different conversation about that particular play, maybe. But probably not, because it was offside. And I know that's going to chap some Oilers fans, but the reality is the rule is the rule. And I know everybody's going to go back and, well, Kale McCars was not ruled offside. We're talking about a totally different conversation here. It's not the same play. It's absolutely not the same play. And the Oilers got burned again. But I thought that both calls, whether it be the Kale McCarr one in, in the playoffs last year or the play last night, they were both the correct calls. And so wanting clarification on things is, is fine, but if you want clarification on that rule, I think you're going to get exactly what you came for. That was the explanation was it was offside. That was a weird game all around. Like it starts out with the Blues getting a penalty for having an illegal lineup which I feel like should only happen in like junior hockey at the most. Cause I know in minor hockey, you don't have to declare a starting lineup. Like it shouldn't happen in any professional level. It shouldn't happen in baseball guys batting out of order. It shouldn't happen in hockey that the guy, the wrong guy starts the game. Like St. Louis started that game behind the eight ball and kudos to them because they managed to come back and win that one. But and and we'll talk to Elliot Friedman about this in a couple of minutes. That game by the St. Louis Blues was a microcosm of their whole season. A weird start. Then they, they kind of managed to settle things down. Then the game looks over with like eight and change left because they're down 
and then they come back, and then they score with 20 seconds left. And then when it looks like they're dead in the water, the Edmonton Oilers go offside. Then you're saying, well, there's still lots of time in overtime. There's lots of time for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to take this one over. And then both guys missing the shootout. Like, it was it was the perfect storm for the St. Louis Blues, and in, in a bad way, it was a perfect storm for the Edmonton Oilers. We're going to get to, we're going to talk about this with Elliot Friedman. We're also going to talk with Mark Spector from Sportsnet about that at the bottom of the hour. And in the next hour, we're going to talk with Jonathan Davis from NHL Network Radio. And in the last block, we're going to talk to Carl Alsner, former Caps defenseman. And we'll talk about this OV chase, but I also want to talk to him about being a defenseman in today's NHL, because I'm sure that's not easy. This is the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese hosting. Let's get it started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts joins me on the show. Elliot, welcome to the program. Hi, Marchese. Like I like, well, I, as I like to call it when Jeff's not hosting, out of the frying pan, into the fire. That a boy. That a boy. Uh, baptism by fire, as, uh, as it was once referred to me by uh, longtime colleague Mike Wilner on the first time I ever produced Jay's talk for him. Never did it. And he's like, well, welcome. This will be fun. Um, All of Wilner's callers were easy to deal with, too, so I can see that being a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> in, my, in, Mike's, in Mike's favorite line, uh, it's early. Um, yes. So last night's Oilers-Blues game, like before we get to the offside, I was yeah. thinking about it, and, and I mentioned this in my open here. That, was, that game was basically the perfect way to describe the St. Louis Blues season. It starts out weird with the penalty for not having the proper lineup. And then, you know, they go down early and then they manage to claw their way back. And just when you think they're dead because there's an overtime goal, they somehow have life and they manage to stay alive. Do you agree that that was the perfect way to describe the blue season in one game? You know, two of their, uh, the two of their best games of the season were in Edmonton too. And the first yeah. week of the season, they had a shutout there. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty good. I, I have to say, I've heard you come up with worse ideas over the times. Unsurprising. I was waiting <laughs> for that shot. Um, okay, so let's get to the offside. And and yeah. Connor McDavid, you know, he says, "Oh, we we need clarification. What's kicking? What's offside?" I don't know about you, but I thought they got that call right. I didn't think that he had possession. And to compare it to the Kale McCarr offside in the playoffs last year, I don't think those are one and the same. Well, I, I agree. Look, first of all, I thought it should have counted. Uh, I'm, I, I'm a person who thought that should have been a goal. Uh, and I'll explain why. I don't think it's the same as McCarr. Like when McCarr happened, I know I'm in the minority on this, but that was clear cut to me. I, I saw a guy who... Um, you know, push the puck over the line, and there was a touch-up. And uh, I, I really thought it was the right call. I thought in the moment it was the right call, and I understood why that call was made. This one last night, um, you know, like I think if there was – like this is my opinion. I think if there was any confusion there, it was because O'Reilly hit a stick. But if you – but to me, when the puck crosses the blue line, Connor McDavid has it like, and maybe it's because it's Connor McDavid, but I look at that and I say, Connor McDavid is, is the best player in the league. And and when he's going over the blue line there, he's got it. He's brought it in. He's got it. 
he can do whatever he wants with it because he's Connor McDavid. And to me, because O'Reilly's stick doesn't come in contact with him until uh, until it's over the line, I think it should have counted. Now, I don't. Obviously, I'm not somebody who has real power to say that that's a goal in the moment. But I think you, I give McDavid the benefit of the doubt. I think he had control. When you look at the puck as it goes over the line, it's before O'Reilly's stick hits his. So to me, I think when the puck goes over the blue line, Connor McDavid has control of it. Because he's Connor McDavid. He can do whatever he wants. Well, I'm, and, and he does whatever he wants on the ice, especially based on what we saw in that goal last night. But, yeah. but as it pertains to the offside, isn't this just the law of unintended consequences when it comes to if we want to review everything, we're going to go down to the, the nitty gritty and the finer yeah, points of the true. play. And, and true. you know, Connor McDavid, unfortunately, he's going to have to live with that. I know it feels like they got burned last year, but how, how much of, of the conversation about, you know, quote unquote, getting the call right with these reviews, how much of that was player led? Do you know? A lot. But I, but I, but like, like at the time, at the time, Colin Campbell was the guy who said to me, I remember him saying this back then. He said, you, we're going to, we're going to look at these second by second and we're going to have unintended consequences calls. You're going to hate. I remember he said that to me and he was right. Like last night I hated that call. Like I, I did, um, you know, uh, uh, like again, I think if you read the rule book, the rule book says when the puck crosses the line, does the player have possession and control? And to me, he does not lose control until, if you want to argue he loses control, he does not lose his control until O'Reilly's stick hits him, his. And that doesn't happen until the puck's over the line. Okay, and okay, then then we'll take it to another level. And this was brought up. Somebody asked a question yesterday on the show, uh, one of our listeners. Do we need to look into potentially looking at reviews in real time to allow for human error? Well, I, I think that I, I think that that is one thing that happens. Is you know you watch a lot of these plays in slow motion. They don't happen in slow motion. But the thing is, if you're not going to use slow motion, why are you having video review? Right. Like that, that doesn't make any sense to me. And, and while I agree with that, my thing is, is that that's what the game is played at that speed. And, and I understand. And I was always of the opinion that I like getting the calls right. But, you know, when we talk about officiating in the NHL, it's not like we're comparing it to umpiring in Major League Baseball, which is a totally different world. Like, I think generally speaking, with the speed that the game is played, that the officials do a pretty good job. If it's something egregious, like, you know, the Matt Duchesne one was was what we all go back to. Like, that to me was egregious. That was a, a miss. But for the most part, these are all bang-bang plays. Like, if if they didn't review offsides, I don't think that I would miss it all that much. Yeah, until, until one happened in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Oh, I like the chaos, though, Elliot. Come on. <laughs> I like the chaos. Um, okay, let, let's move on to... Uh, let, I want to talk about the Penguins. So they win again last night. They beat the Panthers. Yeah. They've won seven in a row. Great story yeah. seeing Chris Letang score. But I'm trying to figure out what the Penguins are. They're 18-8-4. I think they're a good team, but I also think that they have their flaws like many do. What do you think the appetite for and, and maybe the willingness or even ability to acquire a piece that 
fills out their roster. And for me, it's a top four defenseman. What do you think the appetite is in Pittsburgh to do that? Because Berkey has talked about it and Ron Hextall talked about it. The idea of just continuing to trade away first round picks is not something that they're interested in. But to acquire pieces like that, that's what you need to do. I, I agree with that. Well, yes and no. I think it depends on what you're looking at. It depends on what the market is. Like, first of all, when you ask me, I think of Pittsburgh, I think they're a good team. Um, like, I, I'm never going to underestimate a team that's led by Crosby. But, you know, we've seen that they're a good regular season team that haven't been able to do it in the playoffs for quite some time now. And I, I think they look at it kind of the same way. Like, the problem, Marchese, is that right now the league is in a constipation phase. Like, nobody can make moves. The cap is it's too tight. Um, nobody can make moves. Um, you know, it, it, it's a situation where too many teams are either right at it or in long-term injury. Like, there will be trades, but I just don't know how soon. I think there are some teams that would like to do things now. I think early in the season when Pittsburgh was struggling, I think they were trying to do some things. But not a, not a lot of people have a lot of flexibility to do it. So I kind of look at that and – I see Pittsburgh like a lot of other clubs, a team that thinks it's got a chance, a team that thinks it needs help, but a team that doesn't really have the flexibility to go do, go and do that help right now. Well, and a team that, and by the way, I love the constipation reference that really, it was a fine visual for, for this early in the day. Um, but the other thing that, that we, that we should probably bring up is like Pittsburgh hasn't been able to stockpile draft picks. They haven't, not that they haven't been able to, but they yeah. haven't. And, and their prospect pool is not near the top of the league. So no, nope. they don't really have much to trade from because you don't really want to move anything off of your current roster either. Yeah, that's part of the problem. There, there's no question about that. Um, you know, Florida's got the same problem. I think I'm sure that they would like to do some things, but they went all in uh, last year. And as a result, um, you know, they're stuck. Um, I think that's definitely the case. I mean, like I said, I know Pittsburgh, uh, especially early in the year when they were struggling, they were looking at different things they could have done. Uh, obviously, nothing happened, but that doesn't mean they haven't tried. Oh, I, I'd imagine. I, I feel like everybody has tried, but at this point, there's just, like you said, there's just not a lot of wiggle room, and the teams that have it aren't really in a position where they want to add salary because they're probably near the bottom of the standings, right? Like that's well, you're right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts joining the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese hosting for Jeff today. Um, so Mitch Marner's streak ends at 23 games. The Leafs lose to the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. It's not really a question as much of as much as this is a statement. That streak was not only impressive, and we've seen that maybe Mitch Marner, you know, he should he should get the credit that he deserves for how good of a player he is. Yep. But I've been really impressed with Mitch Marner's work in the defensive end. During this streak, it's not as if his defensive game struggled. And he's become one of the better penalty killers in the league. Oh, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I thought the streak was real credit uh, to him and the way he played. Uh, you know, you know, Toronto, what was it, Toronto, 15 games with a point that got snapped last night? Yep. Like As a group, they've been uh, playing very well. And Marner's been a huge, huge part of that. If not, I mean, aside from the goaltenders, probably the biggest part of that. And uh, uh, he's been great. I, I agree with you. I, th- I think, like, the penalty killing, if you're just noticing that now, you're really late to it. Uh, he's been a really good penalty killer for some time. Um, 
I just think that uh, this team, uh, like, it was going to have to end anyway at some point, either his streak or the team's streak. And it did last night. Sturkin was really good and made some huge saves. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there's much you can dislike about them right now. They've played, they've played extremely well in, through a lot of injuries and roster questions. I think tomorrow night's going to be fascinating. Um, you know, once again, the Washington crowd, they're, they're wired for a celebration. They didn't get it yesterday. Uh, Jake Ottinger, Ottinger in Dallas held it off, and you know that building's going to be ready to explode tomorrow night. It's going to be uh, quite the environment to play in. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, just just on the Marner thing, I know that centermen always get the, the love when it comes to the Selkie, but if, yeah. there was, if there was a winger that you think could do it, and win the Selkie, would it be Marner, or do you have somebody else in mind? Well, Marner, I think, is a good choice. Mark Stone would be the guy I think a lot of people talk about. Yep. But there's nothing wrong with, like, to me, there's nothing wrong with arguing about Marner for the Selkie. Nothing at all. Do you think that that conversation changes about center, about it constantly being centerman? Like, I know Yeri Lettinen was the last one to win it. Um, yep. What What is the, in your opinion, what is the holdup about wingers not winning it because like you said there's there's certainly candidates for it is it just because the common perception is well a centerman is is always helping out their d in in the defensive zone but i mean wingers have just as much to do about playing in in the defensive zone as a centerman do maybe not to the same degree but they're certainly important i think it's a great question i i think there's probably some truth to what you're saying i think also the fact that um uh, i think people tend to look at uh, face-off percentages as a, as an important stat. I mean, I know there's a big argument about that too. Um, and also, you know, what the other thing I think is, and I know that I've uh, there's something I've come across a lot is if you talk about uh, teams, what it takes to win the Stanley Cup, a great winger doesn't get mentioned as much. Yeah. Now there've been there've been great wingers that have been critical players on teams that have won cups. You know, obviously, Kucherov would be one. Patrick Kane would be another. Uh, Ovechkin would, would be another. But mostly people talk about centers. They say, well, if you want to win the Cup, you've got to have a good blue, a deep blue line. You're going to be deep down the middle. And you've got to be uh, yeah, good, good goaltending. People don't often say you've got to have great wingers. And maybe that's part of the reason. But I definitely think that when people look at critical parts of a team to win a Cup, the wingers are the last people that get mentioned. Yeah, they are. And, and I mean, you're right in what you're saying. Like, you have to win with everybody. You can't just have one or two guys and, and that's it. it just, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Um, okay, you're a betting man, which we know. You like to yeah. place a wager every once in a while. If you were to bet on the market for Jacob Chikrin, would you have maybe two or three teams that you think are at the front of this list or do you think that there is a team that may be a little bit of a, a dark horse in all of it because nobody's really talking about them or they're not in a playoff spot? Like the team that I focus on is Buffalo because maybe yeah. this year is not the year, but Jacob Chikrin's still under contract after this season, and he may be the perfect complement for an Owen Power or a Rasmus Dahlin with a young core that they already have. And by the way, the Sabres have a lot to deal from that would entice the Arizona Coyotes. Yes, that is true. I, I always think there's teams out there that we don't see. 
Um, I, I always think this. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things I ask myself a lot is, you know, who are the teams out there that we don't see? And uh, and and I, I definitely like, I do think that one team that's been around it for a while in and out has been Columbus. And uh, and uh, but like for example, are they where they are? Are they going to be trading first rounders? You know, I, I don't think they necessarily are going to be doing that. And uh, and Arizona wants first rounders or equivalent type players in that deal. Um, you know, I think LA has been around it. I think uh, St. Louis has been around it. You know, the, the team to me that probably makes the most sense is the team that's probably in the least position to do it, and that's Florida. Um, yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense, but I just I don't think Florida has what they want, and I, I think it's going to be borderline impossible for the Panthers to do that. So, um, you know, so that's kind of the, the situation as, as I see it. But, you know, I think L.A., I think St. Louis – I think Edmonton's been in and out. I don't know how seriously they consider it. Uh, Toronto, I don't think is there. Um, you know, I, I, I just think, I, I think the thing is, like, he's played really well. And I agree with you that the, the, the contract is a positive as opposed to a negative. Uh, I just think that, you know, one of the things in this day and age, and a lot of teams will tell you this, health matters. Yeah. And can a player stay healthy, especially now with the cat not really moving? Health matters, and the problem is the kid has really battled health. Yeah, he's uh, he's been bit by the injury bug, but when he plays, like that's the that's kind of the gamble, right? When he plays, he's been he's been really good. Just a just a big picture kind of conversation about Arizona. Um, if they were able to get a young goaltender in a deal, let's say it was let's say it was. Um, um, Portillo or or uh, Devin Levi from the Buffalo Sabers in a deal. Do you think that they would be more inclined to move Carol Vimelka if they could at least have some semblance of a future at the position in a in a Chikrin trade? Well, put it this way: if I was a team that needed goaltending, I'd be looking at that guy for sure. He's having uh, an unbelievable year. Uh, his goal save above expected numbers are really good. He's signed like he's signed for two more years at a really reasonable number. If like if I was the Kings, I'd be all over that guy. Well, and that, I said that to Jeff yesterday, and his point was, you know, Arizona still needs something in net to kind of counteract the fact that they have a really not so great team. It's a very young team. And they're yep. going to grow, but how important is having a goalie that keeps you in games? I'm just not sure that that matters in the grand scheme of things. If you're the Arizona Coyotes, like yeah, it matters you... because you've got to sell tickets. And well, and, they don't have to sell and, that many. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. But also, like they got young players there who they want to be. Like, like one of the things that really worries me is what's happening in Anaheim. Like, uh, you know, last night was such a huge win for them. Um, uh, they've got a lot of young players who you are hoping are going to be are, are going to be the the keys to your team when you're ready. And when you've got one win in thir- one regulation win in 30 games, like what do you think that's teaching your players? It's, and, it's bad. And and the thing about Vimelka is he say like Arizona plays hard. Like I think they do play really hard. But how many times do you think he's stolen them a win 
or made a loss look better than it really was. And I don't think that's insignificant. I mean, at the end of the day, you're probably right. I, I just I, I just wonder about the the return for Vimelka, if it's it's worth moving him for the return, and especially later on this do season. Not, do, you, do you not think – yeah, like, I agree with you. I Like, if I'm the Kings, I'm doing that. Yeah. I, like, I'm calling them and saying, okay, what does it take? Um, I mean, I mean, you're always judging it against that. Like, the one thing is, I actually, I don't like people who go the other way, uh, uh, Matt, who say, oh, well, they're not playing for anything for three years, so just do it. Well, no, you are playing for something. You're playing to teach your players, your young players, uh, how hard this league is and, you know, what it takes to win. And you want them to feel that they're accomplishing things sometimes. And plus also, as you said, you know, maybe you're not selling as many tickets as other teams are, but you still have to build up interest. And, you know, Vimelka at the very least, I'm sure there's, there's people out there saying, okay, like we might see us win tonight because this guy's there, as opposed to if he's gone, you have a worse goalie and you're saying, why would I go out and see that team? They've got no chance to win. Like sometimes, like, you know, like teams do tank. I mean, we're seeing that in this league. There's, there's no argument against it. But I also think there's something to be said for, okay, even if we're tanking, you still have to try to sell tickets and build interest in your team. And like a guy like Vimelka can help you do that because if he's playing, you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, we might get a few more people into the building tonight or watching the game because he gives us a chance to win. Well, I know that LA's goaltending is certainly not giving them a chance to win at this point. So, no, so no. that that works. Night, so that was a huge one for sure against that a, a, a good Boston one. team. Uh, actually, the guy at the not the forefront, but uh, one of the big storylines. So Trevor Moore inks a five-year extension with LA, and then he goes and beats the Bruins in the shootout. And not that Trevor Moore was a throw-in when when the the Maple Leafs did the deal with LA to bring in Jake Muzzin, but I don't think anybody envisioned this. But he's carved out a really nice role for himself in LA with Deneau, and then usually it's Arvidsson. Um, but it, it's a good deal for LA. It's certainly a good deal for, for Trevor Moore. I don't know how much more I can add to the, just the, the piece that he's been a really good player. I just don't know that anybody envisioned him being as productive as he's been at this level. Well, I, I think that what that does, the, the thing that Trevor Moore does, it's probably the best is that if you're a kid who's passed to the NHL is not the elite path, right? Like uh, from thousand Oaks, California, goes to the University of Denver, uh, free agent signing. You know, as he pointed out to me when he was traded to L.A., I, I forgot about this, but that was right before the pandemic. Like, he got traded to L.A. a month before the pandemic. And, you know, just think about And they didn't go into the bubble. Like, they weren't there. And so, you know, you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, like, you know, I just got traded to this team. And I got, I think, I think he got 17 games with them. And, and, and he said that one of the things that worked out well for him is because he's a California guy, he stayed around them to work out and things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, there, there were a lot of reasons that he would never have gotten to a place where he could have gotten a $20 million contract. And I, I think if you're an underdog, you should be looking at that story and saying, Hey, um, there, there is hope that that to me is the is the true greatness of what he's accomplished and and he's been able to put up points and like i said he's been a nice fit on that line with Deneau 
and Arvidsson when he's been healthy. That LA like that LA Kings team just I look at you know Kempe and Kopitar and Kaliev and and Velarde and Quinn Byfield's ripping it up in the AHL and I yeah. just it does feel like if they do not figure out their goaltending situation that it's a bit of a waste only because I think they have the pieces to make a move if somebody becomes available but outside mm-hmm. of the goaltending like could they use a defenseman sure they can use a defenseman I don't necessarily think that like do you think they're in the market for a top 6 forward the Kings? Yeah. No. They, they they have a lot of forwards. They gotta get they gotta get defensemen, they gotta sort out their goaltending. But you don't think that not maybe missing out on like an elite forward is the is could Look, be a difference for them? Signed, they just signed Fialis for a, to a sixty four million dollar contract. Love Fial. Yeah. You, you you gotta spend your dollars somewhere else. Yeah. Okay, now uh before we wrap up here, just they quick- have the worst goaltending in the NHL. Yeah, it's it's not uh, as they say, not great, Bob. Um, is there is there a team to this point that you feel is doing a lot of work behind the scenes and trying to maybe solidify the roster more so than, or maybe that we're not talking about? Like I kind of look at a team like Seattle, who I think is well outperformed expectations, but I still think that they need an elite scorer to go along with a guy like Matty Beniers. I, I think there's a few. I'm sure I. Like I think, uh, I think at different times Calgary has. Um, like I, I think there's a lot of teams sitting there saying, um, when we're when when this frees up enough that we're able to make moves, we better be ready. Like I think Toronto's one of those teams. I think I think Calgary's one of those teams. Um, like uh, you know, I think there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of sellers out there, like Anaheim, San Jose, uh, Columbus. Um, like Chicago, obviously. There's a lot of sellers. I think we're all waiting to figure out. Like I think Washington, once they figure out what Backstrom's situation is, that determines a lot of what they're going to do, right? Um, you know, Colorado. Once everybody gets healthy, that's going to that's going to determine what they're going to be able to do. So I think there's a lot of people doing the legwork. It's just that right now they can't do anything. So is it a matter of just figuring out who the, the non-contenders are and teams that are willing to sell, and those are the ones that you have to look to eat some salary? Is that, is that, think, is that I, what's holding everything up? I think, no. I, I think what's holding, it's, it's not only that. It's like, even if, you ha, even if you do three ways, and some of these I think will be three ways, don't forget, those are expensive, uh, yeah. Matt. Like, you have to, so you, not only do you have to trade for the player you're trading for, but then you've got to pay off the team that, is facilitating it for you. I don't think it's that, man. I just think right now it's it's like I said before, it's it's, it's constipated out there. What like a way! People just don't have the room to do things. What a way to end the, the segment. It's constipated out there. That should be the title of the the podcast today. It's constipated out there. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that. I actually may tell I may tell the audio editor that's what we should call it today. I'm sure Jeff would be thrilled. You've taken over the show and you changed the podcast title to "It's Constipated Out There." All right, what's that's going to do. He's not going to do anything. Do about, exactly. He's not going to do anything. He'll just get mad at me for a day. Um, Elliot, yeah, he'll uh, get mad. It's like me. Like he gets mad at you for a day and then. He's old, so he forgets it the next day. Exactly. I, although you guys are around the same age, so don't talk about the old thing too much. Um, yeah, that's true. All right, Elliot. Enjoy the rest of your walk, and uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, no, buddy. I'm shoveling. You're shoveling? shoveling? Wow, that's pretty yeah. good. I didn't even notice that you were shoveling. Yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not very good at this then. 
<laughs> All right, well, try and enjoy shoveling then. That sucks, but enjoy. All right, buddy. Take All right, care. see you later. There he goes, Elliot Friedman. Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts.